You're tuned in to The Keetra Show and listening to SOB, Style of Business, the podcast with your host, Keetra. We aim to highlight the ongoing trek of entrepreneurs and business owners from around the globe, featuring stories that recount their struggles, experiences, and inevitable road to success and self-fulfillment. Welcome to SOB. This episode is supported by the wonderful creators of Gratitude Plus app, the app that helps you cultivate a daily practice of gratitude. What are you grateful for today? You can download the app now at the App Store or by visiting gratitudeplusapp.com forward slash style of business. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to another wonderful episode of SOB Style of Business, the podcast. Your host, Keetra, back again this week. Glad to be on with you guys. And I have a interesting guest that's going to be coming in and visiting with us this afternoon by the name of Doc Fuller, who is the founder of Prison Prison Coach Speaking and Consulting. Uh, definitely glad to be speaking with him. Has a very inspiration, inspirational and powerful story. Um, and just visiting with us for a bit to tell us a little bit about his company and his background and how he ended up turning his life around. So, Doc, what is going on this afternoon? How's everything going? Please give us an introduction and we will roll through. Everything is fine, Keetra. Thank you for allowing me to uh, be on your platform. It is absolutely uh, my pleasure. I'm humbled by the request to be on your show. Right, um, good, good. Show, I'm, from, I'm from a small town along the Jersey Shore, Keetra. You know, I came from a very poor neighborhood. I was a poor student in school. And in all actuality, I shouldn't have never graduated, you know, I uh, look at my same high school transcripts now, and they were D's, F's, C's. The only thing I excelled in was gym class. Oh, wow. You know, and some of my reasons for even going to school at times was just for the school lunch. You know, we were very poor. Um, my father died when I was 16, but he never really worked. He was an alcoholic. My mom had schizophrenia and did the best that she could, you know, raising four boys and a girl, you know. So early on in my life, uh, you know, I resorted to crime, you know, around the age of, you know, 18 and 19 in the streets, robbing, selling drugs, you know. I moved to L.A. from Jersey and, um, you know, again, selling drugs, pimping women before graduating to all types of uh, forgery and white-collar crimes and, I'm making my own credit cards and cashing fraudulent checks and mastering identity theft and creating ways to commit theft by deception throughout the country. Wow. So, you know, <laughs> I've been arrested over 10 times. I have three felonies in three different states. You know, I served a year in state prison, and then uh, 18 months later, I served 10 years in federal prison for refusing to testify against my uh, co-defendant in a drug trial. Wow, yeah, and I tell you what, and when I when I read your story, it kind of took me aback a, a bit because I saw that you, you know, you first went for the forgery, and then you're out, and then just within a short time later, I think it was, what, 10 months or 8 months? Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. You, you go back again for the long bid. So so give us a bit, tell, like, now, and now I know, like, when you're thinking back, you probably are, you know, saying to yourself how, you know, ridiculous and, and young and, you know, you make mistakes, but things like that. But like, give us the steps kind of leading up to you 
would you call it like reoffending when you when you end up going back or, or how did you how did you not get out of the cycle the first time of going for the for- forgery? All crimes come from a lack of self knowledge and, and ultimately a low self esteem. Mm. You know, um, when you feel real good about yourself, money will never have anything to do with it. You know, you can have on raggedy clothes, raggedy everything. Your hair could be nappy, and you could still feel great about yourself. Yeah. You know, the, the myth is I have to have the clothes, I have to have the car, I have to have the women, you know. And so when I came home from prison, my social circle was the same. And so most of my friends were out in California. I was trying to get my parole transferred back to California. And um, the money was so fast, it was ridiculous. I could literally, you know, take a credit card, manipulate it with my encoder, my embossing machine. And, you know, I had birth certificates out of St. Thomas and, you know, going to the DMV, getting an ID. This was pre-9-11, so there were no six points of ID. The process of getting a state ID was relatively simple. And so I could create an ID to go along with the credit cards, and I'm flying all over the country, getting cash advances, getting anything that I wanted at will. And when you're young and... You have that mentality of instant gratification. It won't take long for you to go back to prison because it's a form of selfishness. I was thinking more about myself than my two children at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. And now you uh, fast forward all these years later. And you are on the road to transformation, you know, and, and inevitably, inevitably uh, end up with prison coach consulting and, and speaking, which you've done some wonderful things throughout the U.S. Uh, that I have, you know, personally kind of seen. And when I did uh, my research on you and I'm interested to find out a bit about the story that led to you, you know, going within yourself and saying, hey, it's time for me to take a look at what's going on and, you know, just just putting forth an honest effort to change. So if you will share with us that story, Doc, about how that came about and then how you ended up uh, getting into wanting to offer uh, or getting into going back into the, the walls that you were confined to and, and sharing your story and trying to help others uh, to turn their lives around as well. Okay, um, where do I start? Well, after going into the federal um, prison system, it was a rough start because I didn't accept responsibility for my own behavior. So I got with a wild crew of guys who began targeting child molesters and people who were in for domestic violence, you know, against women. And so I got kicked out of several different prisons and I spent a lot of time in disciplinary segregation, you know, but older men that were well-read in books and had been in prison for 15 years, 25 years, they began to see things in me that I really didn't see in myself. And so I started reading a a lot of different books and uh, investing time in myself. Yeah. So, you know, I was hooked on and read books like Emotional Intelligence uh, by Daniel Goldman, Thick Face, Black Heart, What Does the Bible Really Teach, Pleasure Support. Uh, philosophy by Will Durant, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, Seven Habits of Highly Successful Family, Knowledge That Leads to Everlasting Life. I got into Carter G. 
what's in, you know, black history. She got the Diop, George G.M. James, Naeem Akbar, uh, John Henry Clark, Francis Crest Rella, um, Francis Crest Wrestling. Um, and it was a Jewish writer who wrote a really good book. His name was um, Elliot Libo, and he wrote a book called um, Callie's Corner. And he literally studied street hustlers, people who hung out on a particular corner yeah. in the Virginia, Washington, D.C. area back in the 70s. And so those were the type of books that really, you know, got my wheels spinning up top. And before you, you know it, I began putting programs together for men that were in prison who had a, a very difficult time adjusting to the system and accepting responsibility for their own behavior. So I put mentoring programs together, um, programs called Men's Issues, uh, Alternatives to Violence, Criminal Lifestyles, and Criminal Anonymous. Uh, because I didn't, I never was into using drugs. I sold drugs, but I couldn't tell you what it was like to be high. Yeah. I, I never tried coke. I tried puffing on marijuana when I was 12 years old, but I started choking on it, so I stopped. A week later, I tried cigarette, and I choked on it, and I stopped. So smoking wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. You know, my thing was to go drink and hang out. You know, so I never had the vices of drugs, although I sold large quantities of drugs and um, rubbed shoulders with a lot of entertainers and athletes um, who were using drugs. And so I was never one who was a groupie or, you know, could be led into drugs by women and friends. I had people I was hanging out with every day, were doing everything under the sun. At one point in my life, I, I literally lived in a crack house with prostitutes running in and out. And I never had a, uh, a second thought about using drugs because I had seen it bring down the lives of many people who were very successful at one point in their lives or, you know, people with master's degrees, doctors, people who own grocery stores, um, people in corporate America. I I watched them become nothing, literally trash, bums right on the street. So I, I made a dedication to myself to never be one to fall victim of using drugs. I guess with that, I mean, it. when you think about it, it it's all it all takes you down a, a dark path, you know, whether you're using or selling. And I guess the good thing for you is that you decided to change. You know, you, you turned everything around and you end up mentoring other men and, and helping them to to get out of their situations. And a little bit that one of the things that I notice is like prison reform and you know, people have disagreements on whether, you know, you should go in and try to help or whether, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you did the the crime, you do the time. But what what's your viewpoint when it comes to having programs such as yours to, to go back in and try to educate or at least prepare people? Because I know you and we'll get into that a bit. I know you also um, prepare those people that are getting ready to do sentences um, in addition to just trying to help mentor those people that are already uh, incarcerated. But what's your viewpoint on just the the basic education of, you know, helping people to understand, like, hey, you don't want to come here. Yeah, um, it's extremely necessary in terms of prison prison reform, but we have to understand that our country has never gone about it the right way. 
never. Mm. You know, prison is for inmates. Formerly incarcerated people have never had a seat at the table to implement their ideas and programs that were put together, you know, by people like themselves who have come home, been successful. You know, those programs have been stolen, manipulated, twisted, and provided to psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, people with a case act, but they, very few of them have actually done prison time. Yeah. So I don't honestly don't care how good your curriculum is. You can't remove former inmates from the groups and classrooms when it comes to training and preparing people to re-enter society. You know, that that's a huge no-no. Yeah. You know, so the people sitting in these groups and participating in programs need to see and hear from those who have spent time in prison also. You know, I sit on the board of directors for a few nonprofits that focus on reentry and assisting these people. And the men who assist in these programs, and um, these people have served 10, 20, 30, some 40 years in prison. And they're well known throughout the country, especially from the prison system perspective. You know, my one good friend, Bashir Muhammad Jordan, he's around 48, 49 now. He went to, he was a very young millionaire, probably the youngest millionaire to come out of Queens. He had his first million dollars at the age of 16. And when he was arrested, the government classified him as mentally retarded, you know, Mm -hmm. And he's home now on his way to become an oral surgeon, you know. And so when it comes to rehabilitation, older people pulled up on Inmates helped him to change his life around. It wasn't anything that, you know, a reentry program set up by some outside agency with oversight by some government or state entity that helped him, myself, and any other of my dear friends get themselves together and come home. Yeah. Our change came about by rubbing shoulders with one another and challenging one another mentally, spiritually, intellectually, and emotionally. That's how our changes came about. And so I'm not a firm believer that prison form can ever be successful by eliminating inmates from the process. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that definitely makes sense. And I, I'm curious to know, like, are you currently working with any organizations that, you know, it, yeah. for this cause or? Yeah, I currently work with um, Queens Team Entertainment. Um, and it's a extremely good organization. Um, and it's just getting up. It's backed by several African-American um, corporate attorneys. Uh, Damon John has written a forward to the book and is backing it up also. Um, and so, you know, they're focused on training and developing and building our youth and, you know, others and helping them become world leaders, Nobel Peace Prize recipients, and become positive and moral contributors to the world. You know, and it's much easier to focus on these young children and build them up than to repair a broken man if you understand what I'm saying. And so the donations that they're currently getting are focused on addressing the root causes and effects of social diseases of prison reform, you know, community reform, homelessness, crime, joblessness, racism, and equality. And the goal is to do that throughout the country. 
you know, and so um, that's the primary um, organization that I, I focus on, but there's another one that's really up and coming in New York also. It's called STOP. And so um, these men are also formerly incarcerated guys who have spent, you know, 30, 17, 25 years in prison and have come home to really make an impact um, starting in New York and then moving all across the country. There's a, a northern... Um, group of guys, a southern group of guys going all the way to the west coast yeah. with both organizations that um, will be extremely influential and powerful because the inmates and former inmates that are running these programs were new and had relationships while incarcerated. They had the ability to influence what went on 3,000 miles away while incarcerated. And these are the type of people you need if you're going to have a successful program, you know, upon release. Exactly. And, and Doc, I know you just mentioned, you know, the mentorship and, and speaking to the youth. What, like, how effective is the prevention and intervention aspect of it, especially when you're talking to a group of kids? Well, it's, it's very important in that, you know, children don't mind adults who have been through something. Right, I can't. Yeah. You know, I can't state it enough. When I walk in and talk to a group of children, or I have an opportunity to walk with someone society calls deviant, and I speak to them for 45 minutes to an hour, I can get them to open up and talk to me about almost anything. Things that their probation officers, counselors, um, psychologists cannot do because they simply cannot relate. These children are thirsty for knowledge. They're very susceptible and vulnerable to the same things that led them and got them into trouble. They're susceptible to doing the same things if their hearts can't be touched. Mm -hmm. You know, and so they understand the importance of learning to um, love themselves and understand that, you know, there is life after prison. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely important. I know, like, there's a lot of different organizations that focus on, you know, prevention and, and intervention. But, yeah, I guess, you know, you, you definitely have to be able to reach them in order to, you know, influence them like you were talking about earlier. And, Doc, I want to talk about your book because I know you have the your book, The Ten Prison Commandments. And talk, tell us a little bit about that, and then I want to hop into your uh, the educational resource that you have for defense attorneys as well. We can get into that, but let's start with your book. Yeah, well, I was in a crazy contract with um, the Discovery Channel back in 2011, and um, my entertainment attorney, Joe Carlone, out of Beverly Hills, he helped me to get out of that contract, but he knew that I really, really wanted to write a book on the topic. And he gave me an idea. He said, John, why don't you put something together? And once you throw it together, make it really quick and simple. If someone absolutely cannot afford you, maybe they read a book on what to do and what not to do. Yeah. Hence, I put together the Ten Prison Commandments. Um, it was a list of things that individuals should not do if they ever enter into a county, state, or federal prison. 
Wow. Yeah. And I, I saw that it's uh, getting some pretty good reviews. Now, when it comes to just kind of prepping the because I know you do a lot of work with defense attorneys, but how effective is what you do as far as kind of briefing them or consulting them for their clients when it comes to like somebody that's getting ready to enter to do a sentence? Yeah, there are a lot of things that attorneys um, have the ability to um, provide to their clients if they have that information. And so uh, last year, I started being invited to teach attorneys continuing legal education classes and help their clients to understand classic cases, Felicity Huffman, right? Yeah. Um, she'll be entering prison within the next two or three weeks with a college admission scandal. Yeah. Fortunately, she's married, you know, but if she were a single person, you know, and she had a pet, she'd have to find somebody to take care of her pet. If she's running a business, she has to find someone and give them power of attorney. If she was looking at three or four years and she had a drug problem, I would have strongly uh, recommended that she get into drug and alcohol uh, program prior to entering prison so that she enters the system sober and clean. You know, it will greatly enhance her chances of survival because her behaviors and being under the influence of drugs would have served no purpose and would have gotten her into more problems going in inebriated than, in, you know, being sober. Yeah. Um, uh, understanding that she can't make three-way calls, she can't conduct business. Uh, all of those things are important, and attorneys can provide those um, resources, and that's what I'm there for, to educate attorneys on the things that their clients are going to experience during the course of their incarceration. If they have a checkup and they're on medication, well, the client, how would the client know? How would the attorney know? Yeah. You know, that, you know, that how important these things are. I would suggest that they go to the dentist before uh, entering the system. Yeah. Get your teeth fixed. You know, that top-notch care will not exist. They'll do your fillings. They'll do extractions. And you'll see the dentist once a year, something like that, but... It won't nearly be as uh, up to par as your primary dentist is on the streets. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is definitely news for people to use, especially if you're in need of, of that type of service or if you're facing um, that type of situation. And, and, Doc, what other services do you provide under uh, your, your company, your uh, prison consulting and co- speaking? Sorry. Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, seminars with corporations on the importance of uh, ethics and compliance. I speak on the importance of transformation, uh, identity theft. I speak, of course, on the prison system and incarceration. I speak before political figures, wardens, high school students. I go to criminal justice classes a lot. Um, I'm invited by colleges to speak to them because they're the former prosecutors, U.S. attorneys, criminal defense attorneys, who are going to eventually come across individuals convicted of, of crimes. And also go speak to corporations. Oh, wow. Speak to corporations. Perfect. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you a minute. I want you to um, definitely let us know where we can reach you. But before that, before we wrap up, Doc, uh, let me have you leave some words of encouragement to those who may be um, maybe life after prison. You know, I'm pretty sure there might be some listeners who have 
you know, themselves or family members. I don't know, whatever the situation. Uh, I know sometimes it could look hopeless when you're, you know, kind of getting out, trying to readjust and get things situated. But what words would you have for someone who's in that situation? Never give up. And they really have to learn to love themselves and listen to their inner voice. You can't listen or walk with the voice or fear or walk with people who bring doubts and fear into your life. Because those people will be waiting for you. You know, and sometimes walking alone is the hardest walk they'll ever have to make because it's a, it's the walk that makes you the strongest. You know, so you come home and you want to be able to benefit your community. Become strong. Become strong individuals and then go on and make the right choices if you decide to, to get married, whether you're a man or, you know, you're a woman looking to get married, you know, build strong families so that you can have strong communities. And then you'll have the ability, you know, to invest in property and have a say-so to what goes on locally within the state, then within the country. And if your impact is big enough, you'll be able to influence people around the world as a whole, you know, but transformation is different from change because transformation comes from the inside. Yeah. You know, change comes from the outside. You know, it's like if a police officer rolls up on a man and woman arguing and the guy is thinking about hitting the woman and a police officer comes up, that man is going to change his behavior, yeah. right? However, if he really wanted to, to change and transform, he'd understand that hitting a woman is the worst thing that can happen because he's not only degrading her, but he's degrading himself. You know, so transformation is possible, you know, and nobody can immediately transform. It's a process because it's something that's, it's, it's something that's mental. You know, change is an instant process. Transformation takes time. And so, you know, never lie to yourself. Don't blame anything on anyone from your past. You know, if you lie to yourself, you'll believe your own lies and you'll be able to, unable to recognize the truth, you know, either in himself or in anybody else. And you'll end up losing respect for yourself and other people. You know, so when a man has no respect for anyone, he can't love, he can't divert himself from problems, and, you know, there'll be no one to love him. And he'll end up, you know, the same way I did, you know, yielding to my impulses, my indulgence to the lowest forms of, of any type of pleasure, and in the end, you know, behave just like an animal. You know, so never lie to yourself or anybody else. Wow. Powerful stuff, Doc. Powerful stuff. Thank you so much for joining. We definitely appreciate you being a guest. And before we leave, um, for anybody that might be listening, interested in your consulting or your speaking services, Doc, let us know where we can find you online with your social media handles, websites. And also, if you have uh, any upcoming engagements, feel free to share those as well. My, my website is prisoncoachspeaking.com. Uh, my Instagram handle is John Doc Fuller. My Twitter handle is John Doc Fuller. And on Facebook, I'm under The Prison Coaches. It's all one word, The Prison Coaches. You know, so um, right now I'm, I'm busy working on my patent. And so I won't be doing any speaking engagements until the end of October. Okay. I'll be going to Atlanta, then I'll be in Florida, and then... 
I'm expecting to go out into Arizona. So I have three different states that I'll I'll be visiting before the middle of November. Um, but I'm very, very easy to catch up to. I don't hide. I respond to emails. Um, so there I is. There I, there I is. All right, Doc. You guys heard it. If you need to get in touch, reach out to Doc Fuller directly at Prison Coach Speaking. Uh, com, I believe it was. And I'll make sure to uh, also post that once the podcast is live. Doc, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest. And we look forward to keeping up with all the great things you have going. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. And um, thank your audience for listening. And if I can do anything, you ring the bell and I'll come running. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks so much, Doc. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging out with us here on SOB. We hope this episode has been resourceful. If you'd like to check out the latest articles or follow Keetra's website updates, just log on to Keetra.com or follow her on Twitter at K-E-E-T-R-I-A.